but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. Thanks for joining us for our final episode of 2021, which happens to be our ATP rap show. Yes, and you just thought of a title which has really de-stressed me. It's one of the big stressors going into recording any episode for me. If we don't have a title before recording, I just, I can't think straight. Especially since you're editing this entire one. Yeah. I I did the entire WTA one, so I'm happy to make that tiny contribution. (laughs) First off, thanks again to everybody who's currently donated to our GoFundMe. Like mentioned before, we'll be keeping it up through the new year. And one of the main reasons why we do that is that not everybody has disposable income this time of year. So if you want to donate but aren't able to yet, it's there for a while and if you can't donate or don't want to donate that's fine too one of the challenges of uh, doing this episode is stretching our bandwidth (laughs) to be able to relive a lot of what happened on the atp this past year because a lot of it was dire (laughs) yeah i found going through uh, you know past episodes um just the atp tour wikipedia page Realizing that I had either tuned out or forgotten a lot of what happened this year on the men's side. It, See, it's an odd transitional year, right? We saw some real gains for the people coming behind the the big four. We saw uh, career high rankings. You oh, know, see, I thought you said games. Gains. Oh, gains. Advances. You know. Yes. But in many ways, it still felt transitional. It felt monotonous. And it's, it feels to me that the ATB is still really looking for its next stars. It felt stagnant to me, say for Daniil Medvedev. Mm. Like every year you have folks who are on the come up, who make strides up to a certain point. We had those again this year. Maybe you could say maybe we had a lot more breakout players on the lower yes. levels than normal. But at still at the top levels of the game, outside of Medvedev, it was like... Okay, like <laughs> this was your chance, boo. Yeah, and you took it. Who did? Medvedev. Oh, I, I was referring to all the other gentlemen who did not <laughs> bust through in a big right. way. But, you know, the absence of Dominic Team for much of the year, I think, left a bigger hole than a lot of people realize. Mm-hmm. And Nadal and Federer were gone for much of the year, and that's something we're going to have to get used to, obviously, but it leaves us searching for... Okay, what's next? There were a lot of guys who did impressive things. Uh, You know, there's a really a long list of ATP breakouts this year. But what does the tour look like in three or four years when all those legends are gone? There was a a title that you wanted to use for one of the episodes. I'm pretty sure it was at least three episodes this season that you wanted to use that we decided not to. What? That referenced Novak in the title. Uh, Novak and the Seven Dwarfs, <laughs> <laughs> and that—that's that, that, what the season was like. Almost. Yes, and that was a callback to this great coinage from the '90s when a sports writer called 
the WTA tour, Steffi and the Seven Dwarfs. Hmm. Okay. So we did a lot of scene setting through our WTA wrap. So I feel like as we go through the year, we're going to be able to skip a lot of that. We mean like the back, you know, the we're in Australia, Australia, we're quarantining, da da, yeah. da 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 We already did that. This is a companion to Holy Spirit Activate, our WTA rap. Dire Straits, the title of this episode. Yes. <laughs> a little wordplay with straits. <laughs> uh, the format of the episode is going to be the same, though. We literally copy and pasted the format. Yeah, yeah, the structure is identical. Where do we start? In, in January 2021, what's going on on not, the ATP Tour? Not much tennis, because the season was delayed. The ATP Cup didn't happen until February. So, so not much tennis in January, James. <laughs> yep, it was postponed. There was a, a very small pre-Australia tour uh, in, on the ATP. There was Delray Beach in January. There were a few other tournaments in odd places. But it wasn't your usual pre-Australia summer. Do you remember Tennis Sandgren and his tweetings while he was en route to Australia? Oh, yes. I don't remember the details. I've chosen to forget them. But he was, was he on one of the planes that were super quarantined? I just remember he had a lot to say about the ridiculousness of the whole situation. I believe he was traveling from Delray Beach and trying to get to Melbourne. I don't have the bandwidth still for the ATP Cup, but we must mention that one of the big breakouts started at the ATP Cup with Aslan Karatsev. Yes, the Russian team was led by Medvedev and Rublev, but Karatsev took his place on the team. A lot of people didn't even know who he was, and then he broke out fully through Australia and then winning Dubai. Making the semifinals in Australia. Out of nowhere. But if you thought that was going to be a one-time thing, kudos to him because that was not the case. He won two titles in 2021 and made a few other deep runs. The main stories that persisted throughout the year were Novak's quest for the calendar year Grand Slam, which he came very, very close to achieving, and the ATP's, shall we say, integrity problem. The struggle to keep the Zverev and Basilashvili stories under wraps. The mounting pressure from mainstream media that happened in the summer, culminating in this promise to investigate the Zverev allegations. Which we've learned from Ben Rothenberg just this past week that Olya Sharapova has not been contacted to date by the ATP as part of this alleged investigation that they're doing. The ATP's inaction for much of the year, I feel, cast a pall over the season for a lot of fans. There was a lot of outrage and a lot of activism on tennis Twitter that I believe it partly drove where we are now. At least the, the lip service of an investigation and the possibility of a domestic violence policy at some point. The ATP is also now in the throes of another scandal with more inactivity in response to the Peng Shui situation. Because they say we support the WTA, but everybody from its constituents, its players, to even the ITF, to the WTA, everybody in tennis is coming on board to say this is not okay and there will be consequences 
but the ATP, as it is wont to do, is mum about it. Mm-hmm. So we'll pick up this thread a little bit later in the episode, but that's kind of where we are at the beginning of the year. Russia puts in this great performance at ATP Cup. They repeat that performance at the end of the year in Davis Cup. Yannick Sinner opens the season with his second career title. He won his first the previous fall in Sofia. He wins Great Ocean Road Open. And throughout the year, watch him to add three more titles to his count. As a youngster, he's already got five career titles and reached the top 10 in 2021. Also winning in Washington, Sofia, and Antwerp. That takes us to the Australian Open, where all eyes are on Djokovic. Yeah, Djokovic had come off a, a pretty sound defeat to Rafael Nadal in Roland Garros in the fall of 2020. He was coming into Australia, obviously, as the heavy, heavy favorite, having won eight, eight times before that. There was chatter, you know, that he could go on to have another excellent year. But was it Kitty Chiller chitter-chatter? <laughs> wow, such a throwback. The course of this tournament was possibly altered by Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> because mm-hmm. he just wore Dominic team all the way down and eventually out of this tournament. He wasn't able to beat Dominic team in the early rounds, but then Grigor Dimitrov takes out team before losing to Karatsev in the quarterfinals. Grigor uh, won the first set against Karatsev, but then was kind of sidelined by back spasms. And I, I remember he even mouthed I'm sorry to mm-hmm. his box. That was heartbreaking. It was so disappointing watching that match. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won the first set, but then the back really started to give him trouble. But he said he didn't want to quit. He did not want to quit in that moment. And so you had three full sets of just agony for him and his fans. Yeah. Karatsev had beaten Diego Schwartzman, Felix, and then Grigor to have to play Novak in the semis. He lost in straight sets there. But this is coming from somebody who had never previously qualified for a slam main draw. The uh, the Australian Open was the first major in the Open era to feature three Russian men in the quarterfinals. And that was Medvedev, Karatsev, and Rublev. And two more who are of Russian descent but represent different countries, Zverev and Tsitsipas. The quarantine controversy that you talked about as context on the WTA rap episode, it persisted here with the men. Uh, from his balcony in Australia, Novak was able to write... A list of demands for the Mm -hmm. lesser than. Don't cry for me, Melbourne. How do we not use that as a title? (laughs) No. Wow. What a missed opportunity. No, but but in all seriousness, he was uh, one of the beneficiaries of this two-tiered sort of caste system at the beginning of the Australia summer where some players didn't have to go to hotel quarantine. They got private planes and balconies and all that. But... To his credit, he was fighting for the players stuck in quarantine with this long list of demands, many of which were completely reasonable and should have been in place already. Better food, access to exercise equipment, stuff like that. A few of the demands were unrealistic, you know, like uh, to be placed in private homes with tennis courts. At that point, it's just too difficult to, to organize something like that. At the end of this tournament, 
Djokovic beats Medvedev in the final in a fairly straightforward final for his ninth Australian Open title. And it would be a, we use this word a lot on the previous episode, a harbinger of what was to come on the ATP tour this year. You see a lot of the usual suspects in the quarterfinals here, Zverev, Rublev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas. Nadal made the quarterfinals losing to Stefanos. Uh, Novak From two sets up. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was a shit tournament for us. The only <laughs> the only light for us at the back end of this tournament was Grigor being upset in that quarterfinal, looking like maybe this could be finally a bust out moment for him. Yeah. And then look how that ended. Look <laughs> right. how Venus's tournament ended. Oh man. Novak's semis and finals were not close, right? They were pretty straightforward matches, but this was not a straightforward tournament. He lost a set to Francis Tiafo. He had that five-setter against Fritz. He lost a set to Raonic, lost a set to Zverev. And this was also a signs of what's to come. He was able to win ugly through a lot of his Grand Slam matches this year. And this is also Novak's 18th slam title with this win leaving him two behind roger and rafa at that time it was entirely reasonable to think that they could all end up tied at 20 at the end of the year Mm -hmm. but it didn't feel as imminent because rafa still had the french to play it looked like maybe it could be like a 21 19 21 20 kind of situation by the end of the year instead we ended up at 2020, 20, <laughs> a three-way tie after oh. Wimbledon with Novak going for 21 at the U.S. Open. So we move on from Australia into this weird sort of late winter, early spring season all over the globe. Rublev wins his fourth ATP 500 title in Rotterdam. Karatsev wins Dubai. There's this surprising finalist in Lloyd Harris, and we're going to hear more from him in the summer. Rublev and Karatsev, this dream doubles team, which is very popular on tennis Twitter, won the Doha doubles title together. In March, Medvedev becomes the first non-Big Four player to reach number two in the world in 16 years. Not since 2005 had somebody other than Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, or Andy Murray been ranked number two in the world. And this feels pretty big. Right, We've seen cracks in the big four armor over the past probably four years, but Novak is still winning three majors a year. Rafa had a lock on the French Open, had added U.S. Opens to his resume. This is really the one of the first people to put a huge dent in the cornerstone. With Roger's injuries, it had become a two-pronged mm-hmm. attack on the ATP. It was a big two for a while there. And heading into 2022, depending on how Rafa comes back from yet another Indra layoff, we could be looking at a different kind of big three. And we'll get to why that that's the case at the end of the episode. Right. It might be more like a medium three. (laughs) In comparison. A big 2.5? Yeah. We get to Miami and another surprising winner, Horkacz, beating Yannick Sinner. In the final, Horkacz finished the season with, and while Orkacz didn't 
duplicate as large a victory. He had success throughout the season. I think he finished with three titles. The big drama that came out of this, the drama that came out of this event <laughs> was Vashek Pospisil's absolute meltdown on court. That was a spillover effect from entanglements, tussles, arguments that he'd had the night before with respect to PTPA stuff and Andrea Godenzi. Yeah. So this on-court meltdown gave us a window into what was going on backstage at Miami. The ATP had this huge meeting. Vasek claimed that Gaudenzi screamed at him and called him ignorant. So this is one of many updates we got throughout the year about what the hell was going on with PTPA after its announcement at last year's US Open. So later in the year, they announced that they had put together a governing structure that they had an executive director, communications director, an advisory board. And while the PTPA makes these announcements, the ATP counters and said, listen, you already have a voice. You have an ownership structure unlike any in professional sports. And this is a clear overlap with the ATP. As you probably know, the players and tournaments have equal representation on the ATP board of directors. The Players Council elects player representatives, and the Tournament Council elects tournament representatives, and there's three each. And so the the people who founded the PTPA feel that this, you know, three-in-three three structure on the ATP causes significant gridlock, it prevents players' voices from truly being heard, and it basically has created an inherent conflict of interest where tournament owners have the same voice or a more important voice than players. And as it turns out, now that we know with the Peng Shui situation, just stakeholders, not mm -hmm. even board members, but stakeholders, because one of the, what, the shareholders in ATP Media is a Chinese company that owns 10%? Yeah. And that seems to be one of the biggest sticking points for the ATP being able to be more vocal and take action. Right. Pretty much everybody is conflicted in some some way, has some conflict of interest. And you can see then how this structure that the PTPA is trying to rail against doesn't serve anybody's interest as well as the suits. Right. So we don't know the outcome of the PTPA and how many players are signed up and, and really what it is, right? It's clear that it's not really a bargaining unit. It's not a union, but what is it? Is it a separate corporation meant to represent players in negotiations? Is it going to break off and attempt to become a separate tour? Probably not, but we saw stuff like that in the 60s and 70s. There were so many incidents this year on the ATP tour that the PTPA could have led on a parallel plane to the ATP. It could have shown what their leadership could look like. They could have organized a collective voice for ATP players speaking out on the Peng Shui situation. They issued statements condemning it, mm -hmm. but there is more that you can do. It feels like so much of the PTPA stuff, it's too dormant for what it aims to be. And of course, you can say the same thing about the Players' Council, right? A lot of players have spoken out about the ATP's inaction on the Peng Shui stuff. 
And people are like, well, where is the Players' Council? Like, what are they saying about it? At the same time, if the PTPA is positioning itself as a more representative body for players, there are some real PR coups that would have been easy to nab throughout the year. And there were some real PR fails. Novak's repeated public support of Alexander Zverev Mm. throughout the year. Unprovoked, unneeded. That time when he supported Zverev publicly, but in the very same breath is speaking out about Peng Shui. Like, that was such a clear mm-hmm. encapsulation of what's been a problem with the ATP handling of all these off-court issues this year. Yeah. The endless stunting and mystery about whether Novak is vaccinated. It feels like a media event. And obviously, the Australian press is not helping the situation. But Novak does have an opportunity to lead here, and he's chosen not to. Back to the season itself. Mm. So the clay season, you know, we were talking about the prospect of a calendar Grand Slam. Novak did not come through the clay season looking like the favorite, right, for for Roland Garros. This traditionally would be the most difficult leg of a calendar year Grand Slam for him, having only won Roland Garros one time. But Rafael Nadal did also not start the clay season as a heavy favorite, losing to Rublev early on. Uh, Tsitsipas won the Masters in Monte Carlo. Without dropping a set. Mm-hmm. And with Dominic Team sputtering, was he out by this time? No, I can't even recall. he wasn't out yet, but it, he wasn't doing great. Right, but at this time, Tsitsipas has, had put his hat in the ring for, you know, next best clay player currently. Yes. Winning Monte Carlo without dropping a set. Right. Now, Rafa did win Barcelona. And the runner-up there was Tsitsipas. His consistency on clay was remarkable. So we have the win in Monte Carlo, runner-up in Barcelona, quarterfinal in Rome, a win in Lyon, and that sets him up for his marvelous run to the final at Roland Garros. Mm -hmm. At the same time, Nadal still won Barcelona, still won Rome for his 10th Rome title, another decima. His fourth decima. And after what we saw in the fall in Paris, it would have been, frankly, stupid to bet against Rafa at the French Open. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many times does a dude have to win a tournament? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So we get there. We get some truly shocking first-round exits. Dominic Thiem out to Andujar. Rublev out to Struff. Maybe less surprisingly, Felix is out to Andrea Seppi. Kasper Ruud, who was a clay stalwart out in the third round to Davidovich Volkina. You had said previously that the Australian Open was a historic event for the Russians. At this French Open, it was an it was a similarly historic event for Italians. Three Italians got to the fourth round for the first time ever. You have here written Djokovic screamed and hollered his way to the title. <laughs> This apparently is what a lot of people remember based on our Twitter mentions, that this was an extremely emotional and demonstrative Grand Slam for Djokovic. There was a lot of screaming. Uh, it, it clearly meant a lot. It looked pained. But he, I mean, he did something remarkable in taking out Rafa Nadal in the semifinals and then beating Tsitsipas in his first Grand Slam final. He also did that by beating Nadal coming from a set down. 
in that semifinal. Nadal won the first set 6-3, and it looked kind of ho-hum for the most part. Mm -hmm. And uh, it followed with a a 6-3, 7-6, 6-2 final three sets. What we came to find out, what we suspected while watching the match, because it, it did not look like the Nadal that we knew on clay, what we come to find out afterward is that he'd been suffering from a reemergence of his foot injury that he's had to deal with throughout his career. Yeah, I saw recently that Tennis.com said that this was the best match of the year on the ATP side, which is hilarious to me. Absolutely was Are not. Are you serious? <laughs> like, come on now. Like, they went long stretches in that match with one or the other not playing at a super high level. And I'm not going to blame that on injury or whatever. It's just not a classic. That doesn't reduce the the achievement. You know, that's not to denigrate what Djokovic did. I'm just saying the match was not that amazing. It's so rare that you get these top players playing their absolute best against each other for the majority of a match. Mm. And then in the final, Tsitsipas won the first two sets. And it was like, is the dream going to end here in June? And oh no, (laughs) no, no. Novak knows how to win a match after losing two sets. It also set up the rest of the year for everybody watching his matches. There was this, there now was this built-in added drama that we already knew Novak was a great champion, that he could win from any position in a match, that he was never truly down and out. But this heightened that consideration. Mm -hmm. And every match that he went down a set of which there were many, what, four times at the U.S. Open? He lost so many sets in Grand Slams this year. It felt so repetitive by the end of the year. Like <laughs> yes. We had people say all the time watching a match where the script is the same, right? Oh, I've seen this happen before. I'm not surprised. Literally, this was a repeat of the same episode <laughs> on loop for the yeah. entire 2021 season. Credit to that man, because that is not easy to do. Yeah. It got to the point where folks were speculating that he was just stunting, that it was intentional, (laughs) that he's so good that he can just... It was almost like they thought he was Geppetto and tennis was Pinocchio. Is that a a terrible analogy? (laughs) That he Uh, could just, at will, do whatever he wants, puppeteering the outcomes of these matches, just for... Just for shits and giggles. Yeah, it actually almost felt like that at the U.S. Open because he, as you said, he lost the first set in four consecutive matches. And it seemed like, well, this is the move. Reduce pressure, lose the first set, and then I'm going to run through the final three. And that obviously the spell was broken in the final. This tournament altered the course of the rest of the season, though, because we're used to Nadal not playing Wimbledon, but we're used to him coming back ready to go in the hardcourt season. And this foot injury, save for one appearance in D.C., where he beat Jack Sock and then lost to Lloyd Harris, he was done for the rest of the year. Yeah. Running up to Wimbledon, we have this little grass season where Chilich wins the title in Stuttgart. Hello? Blast from the past. Yeah, he's back to number 30 or something like that, winning two titles this year. Right. That's one of those, like, did you remember that Chilich won two titles this year? Same with Demonauer. Berrettini wins Queens, Demonauer, Eastbourne, Umber in Halle, and Medvedev wins Mallorca. 
you have here written that that Francis's first round win over Stefanos changed the course of his season. And Stefanos's. There's a question mark on that. So this was obviously a devastating, well, maybe not, I don't know if it's devastating. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Well, it comes but it was right pretty, after that French Open final. Yeah, it was a pretty awful loss for Stefanos. His year, having been so consistent and reaching a career-high ranking, did sort to sputter a little bit in the summer. Just a little of the wind came out of his sails. And I think by the time we got to Bathroom Gate at the U.S. Open, that really took a lot out of him. But this loss against Francis was a big deal. But I think it was a bigger deal for Francis. Because it, I, I don't, this might be an overstatement, but I do think it resuscitated his career in a way. It took him a, a little while yet to string together the results, but yep. perhaps that was the confidence boost that he needed. Denis Shapovalov reaches his first slam semifinal at Wimbledon, and his countryman, his peer, his young bro, Felix Ogelia-Sim, reaches his first slam quarterfinal at the same event, doing the yeoman's work of taking out Zverev. <laughs> It was amazing watching it happen because you did feel a groundswell of support for Felix on social media, in the stands. Like, you could tell that a lot of people have been really rooting for Felix to do something like this for a long time. And that guy, while he made a slam final at the US Open last year, was not able to do that this year. No slam final for him in 2021. He won a bunch of tournaments. but the, he's The most tournaments, in fact. But he's shown yet again that his peak level is not good enough to win a Grand Slam. (laughs) In a very weakened ATP landscape this year, he's still yet to beat a top 10 player at a Grand Slam tournament. And so for all the bluster and the cockiness and the dismissiveness that he meets out on a regular basis, his Grand Slam results have not risen to that level. Mm -hmm. Karen Hachanov got a great little career revival starting at Wimbledon with wins over Francis and Sebastian Korda, and this kind of buoyed him on to win the silver medal at the Olympics just a few weeks later. Mm -hmm. And at this tournament, Andy Murray beat Basilashvili in the first round. This was notable, A, Basilashvili is somebody who, despite being tied up with a court case with allegations of domestic violence facing him. He was still allowed to play on tour. And he had a good year. Mm -hmm. Won a couple tournaments. Remember at this point, the ATP had said after continued pushback that we will only get involved if there is an adjudication from a court case. Yeah. So like not even an indictment. They're like... If the person is convicted. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And so they had nothing to say about Basilashvili. So all this is happening alongside Zverev. Andy Murray takes him out in the first round of Wimbledon. And in that match, we finally get some on-air commentary acknowledging what is going on on the ATP tour. Up until this point, it was mostly just a lot of fan anger Mm. on social media. And, and rising anger because they were met with such silence and such defiance from the powers that be in tennis. 
it felt like a complete impasse that mm-hmm. we were screaming into the abyss. And it wasn't until Andy Murray in press before this tournament started being asked about the the Zverev situation, etc. It wasn't until he said that the ATP needs to do something about this, have some kind of policy, that it felt like folks had license to talk about it. Because Andy Murray said this, I can now intro this segment and not have it be my words, not my editorializing. I can say Andy Murray said this and this is the background. Mm. This, to my mind, was the first time that a U.S. major network brought this up during Mm. a tournament. And you see a swell throughout the summer and into the U.S. Open. It was talked about more openly. It was talked about at the Olympics? Yeah, while that guy was winning the gold medal. Mm-hmm. It was awkward for a lot of commentators and journalists, I'm sure, because at this point they had read the story, a lot of them believed it, and you saw kind of a muted response among tennis media to Zvera's win compared to if... It was somebody who had no... Well, uh, I mean, at times. It felt like there were minor stretches where he'd have been ignored for a little bit. And then it was like, well, that that's enough. Maybe that has died down. Right. Or maybe we can go back to like celebrating this dude. But there's a difference between PR and journalism, right? And I think a lot of the journalists felt a certain way and you could feel it coming through their social media and the coverage. It felt a lot of it was perfunctory. It's like, hey... This guy won the gold medal. It wasn't celebratory like you might normally see. Yes. But from, you know, from the sponsors, from the ATP, their job is to promote the sport. I thought you were referring to, like, Tennis.com, ATP, ATP Media, that kind of stuff. No. Back to Wimbledon. Novak beats Matteo Berrettini in four sets, wins his 20th major title, and uh, didn't seem like he was really pushed the whole tournament. (laughs) No. And Matt, Golden Slam Watch is on. For a lot of observers, it felt like a foregone conclusion at this point. You know, Novak liked to keep us in the dark. Well, I don't know if I'm going to go to Tokyo yet. Obviously, we knew he was going to go. This is too important. I mean, I don't know what I said on air at the time, Mm. but I feel like it wasn't as much of a foregone conclusion as one would think. Only because... The U.S. Open has been Novak's bugaboo for a right. while now. Let us not forget, Rafa Nadal has more U.S. Open titles than Novak Djokovic. Right, right. And, to be fair, it seems that he wins Wimbledon at will these days. Wimbledon is going to be an easier tournament for him, period. But, with how dominant he was there, it seemed like, well, what is going to stop him? Like, who? literally, who can stop him? Medvedev got sort of run over by him in Australia on hard courts. But as it turned out, the emotional and physical fatigue, the combination of the two and the pressure, Mm -hmm. we saw what the pressure did to Serena Williams in 2015. All that was on show at that US Open. No, I think we really underestimated how difficult that final leg is mentally. At the Olympics... Djokovic showing up for that golden slam, that fourth leg of five, to join Steffi Graf as the only players to have ever done it. That's one of the things I enjoyed most of this year, that his run allowed folks to revisit Steffi's incredible 1988 Mm -hmm. season. 
I have a more cynical view about comparing his records to women's records mm-hmm. because I feel that we're only allowed to compare records when it makes men look better. Hmm. So when Novak reaches a certain number of weeks at number one, Steffi becomes the goalpost. Steffi was never the goalpost. We're not allowed to compare Serena's 23 to Novak's 20 hmm. because a... most tennis commentators feel that Novak's 20 is a way greater achievement. That's uh, an incredible point. Why, thank well you. Thank you. So while I, I loved that that Golden Slam when Steffi was just a teenager was put into the spotlight about how difficult it is, um, it, it annoys me because some of these tennis outlets only highlight women's records in comparison to men to make men look better. I absolutely agree and accept that. <laughs> I also enjoy the fact that Steffi got some play this year only because she's been largely forgotten by a lot of folks. Her career was incredible, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Multiple things (laughs) can be true. This was a heartbreaking Olympics for him, though. It really was. Mm -hmm. Because not only... He entered all three disciplines. Mm -hmm. Not only did he not get the gold medal, he lost out on a medal altogether to Pablo Carreño Busta who relegated him to fourth place. You may remember PCB was the person who Novak was defaulted against in the 2020 U.S. Open. You down with PCB? Definitely not ND. Wow. Like, if I saw him in my draw, at this point, it's a curse. But shout out to Karen Hachanov, who has really resuscitated his career, winning the silver medal, losing the final to Zverev. PCB gets bronze. And really, the players of the year, Mekdic and Pavic, win gold medal in doubles, making it their ninth title of the year. And lest we forget, they won Wimbledon after having COVID at the French Open. Mm. There's not much time in between those. While those folks were at the Olympics, Kaspar Ruud was winning three titles. He was about to be the title leader until Zverev scooped up that last one at the end of the year. Stefanos rises to number three in the world, but his year starts to stall. The absence of the top guys allow new ones to break out in the summertime. Jensen Brooksby, or is it Brooksby Jensen? First name is Jensen. Denson, what? Nope, you're confused because I called him Brooksby Swanson. Yes, you've completely ruined that for me for (laughs) Densby Swanson. Right, he's the the shortstop. Yes. Okay. Uh, Yeah, but there was kind of a mini American revival this summer, right? Brooksby, Riley Opelka made the final in Toronto, and Mackie McDonald, runner-up in D.C. Cincinnati introduced a story that would dominate the U.S. Open, unfortunately. Bathroom Gate. Mm -hmm. There we thought that the Zverev story was going to be inescapable mm-hmm. but the rodent found a distraction and exploited it he sure did that was so calculated it was so Tsitsipas we're not going to rehash the whole thing but that guy accused Tsitsipas of cheating during his bathroom breaks in Cincinnati taking his phone back there and then one time the commentators thought they saw Tsitsipas's dad in the back and it was a whole thing Right, you could feel this controversy bubbling. And then we get to the U.S. Open. 
Right, but what does the ATP have the bandwidth to act swiftly on? This. They <laughs> right. have instituted, oh, what, a three-minute rule oh, yeah, for using the bathroom? already got a rule. I Under mean, wraps. Like, totally taken care of. Done and dusted. Mm-hmm. See how easy it is to write policy? So anyway, like, that guy won Cincinnati, blah, blah, blah. After winning the Olympics. Mm-hmm. After winning a Masters 1000 on clay. He's having a great year. Mm. Having a great year in spite of everything, right? Yeah, stay strong. Like, being able to rise above it with all the shit that people are throwing at him. It's amazing. Somebody famous said that. I can't recall Mm -hmm. who. The thing that's interesting to me about (laughs) the way that's phrased, the way Novak wrote that, the way other people have celebrated that guy this year for that... It's almost as if they're trying to put themselves in his shoes. Yes. To find out and look within, how would I have managed that situation? Mm -hmm. And guess what, Boo? Like, unless there's something in your past where you've done something similar or you're concerned that you may do something similar in the future, what is there to consider? Why would you be in that situation? And this bugaboo, this, like, mythical woman that's out there who is just ready to just levy... Levy accusations at you and derail your life. She's not out there. So, like, yeah. the whole thing is just mind-blasting. Because the assumption when you make a statement like that is that the woman is definitely lying. Because you could never make a statement like that without first presupposing that she's lying. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't say... Oh, I believe that you abused somebody, but good for you for rising above this controversy. No. Baked into that statement is, I know you didn't do this. I, when you could have said nothing. Right? That's that's the thing. Mm-hmm. When you literally could have said nothing. Yep. Anyway, U.S. Open. Andy Murray draws another top player in the first round, Stefanos Tsitsipas. And we get the story that dominates at least the first week, Bathroom Gate. Andy had a large part in this. He went on and on during the match, after the match, on Twitter. Stefanos's brother got involved. It was a lot. I mean, this should have been a straight sets win for Andy Murray. He was up a set, 6-2. Could have won that tiebreak in the second set. Lost it, 7-9. And then won the third set, 6-3. Should have been straight sets. And so after having lost a two-set-to-one lead... He was extremely salty and bitter about this. Yeah. Petulant, even. And, you know, in the moment, I really do understand the frustration, but this went on mm-hmm. a lot. Like, the, the, the media coverage kind of took away from the gamesmanship aspect because it almost made you want to side with Stefanos at some point. And it's like, okay, just let it go. I did not have that impulse. I, <laughs> I know a few months <laughs> removed from it, I do now because I do... I think it affected him more than we realized because mm-hmm. in the moment he felt very defiant and, you know, he was giving answers that were frankly annoying because there is a pattern of dishonesty, not to be dramatic, but there is this pattern in the way he plays the game sometimes. This is, this is not the only instance, right? But it just went on for so long that you realize there are bigger fish to fry here. Yes, and the net effect from all that carrying on is that other fish that need to be fried are just sitting in the freezer. Right. In the actual tennis, 
this tournament saw an incredible number of breakouts. You know, a lot of fans praise this U.S. Open for bringing some of the best quality they've seen at a major for years. Mm-hmm. We already talked about how incredible it was on the women's side with all the breakouts. Mm-hmm. But in the men's, you really did begin to see if there is going to be a sea change, this might be what it looks like. Lloyd Harris had this great run of the quarterfinals, beating Hachanov, Shapovalov, Opelka. Francis Tiafo gets to round of 16. Felix plays Francis in the round of 16, reaches the quarters, and then his first slam semi. Alcaraz was one of the big stories of the U.S. Open, reaching the quarterfinals. He won that thrilling five-setter against Tsitsipas. Botik van de Sanschup, maybe not one of the breakouts you expected, but it happened, reaching the quarterfinals, becoming only the third qualifier to do that. Eventually, we get a rematch of the very first slam final of the year, Novak Djokovic against Daniil Medvedev for all the marbles. For history, for the lead in the Grand Slam tally, for the calendar year Grand Slam, and this was a lot. You know, if anyone could handle it, we figured Novak could. But, you know, having come into this match, losing the first set four times in a row, winning those matches convincingly after that first set, he loses the first set to Medvedev, and you're thinking, well, that doesn't really mean much. But it was a... Given how he handled him in the Australian Open final, he goes down two sets and you're like... This is entirely it's, doable. We right. saw it at, at Roland Garros against mm-hmm. Tsitsipas. He goes down, what, double break in the third? And you're like, well, I still see a path forward here. <laughs> right. We've been down this road before. We've yes. been watching this TV show all year. But Medvedev, he held strong. And by the end of that third set, the raw emotion from Djokovic could not be contained. Not in the way that he had hoped crying mm-hmm. into his towel on the changeover, and the match ended, culminated with a dead fish flop celebratory <laughs> moment by yes. Medvedev. Which Medvedev told us was a FIFA thing. Thank you, because I did not know that. For me, it would have been even funnier if I knew it wasn't a FIFA right. thing. <laughs> if he just decided to do that on his own accord, uninspired yeah. by anything. If that became his thing and his alone, that would have been all the better. But still, <laughs> a moment of levity. And so into the fall, we have a, a delayed Indian Wells happened for the first time since 2019. In October. And get a fairly surprising winner in Cam Nori, winning the title. But he had previously reached four finals this year, had won the title at Los Cabos. Was still definitely surprising. It was. Rude added a fifth title to his tally in San Diego. At that time, he was the tour leader in titles. Sinner adds Sofia and Antwerp. The fall swing was dominated a lot for us by week-in-week-out runs by Francis Tiafo and long, dramatic matches by Andy Murray. Yeah. Pushing top players, not being able to quite get the result that he wanted, and, and building on that from week to week. So that was the, the narrative intrigue, for us at least, at the end of the season. And hello, the Marin Cilic revival. You know I've always liked him. He was the runner-up to Karatsev in Moscow, the winner in St. Petersburg, and his country reached the Davis Cup final, losing to Russia. Funnily enough, Cilic did not actually play that well in Davis Cup. 
he only won one match, but thank God for the best doubles team in the world helping Croatia get to that final. And his uh, his countryman Borna Goyo, who won a bunch of singles matches. On the year, although they're not able to compete as Russia under the Russian <laughs> yes. flag, mm. the RTF, the Russian Tennis Federation, had a superb year on both tours across all team formats. Yeah. Russia wins Davis Cup, losing only two matches in all the rounds. They start, they win ATP Cup at the beginning of the year. They've got a singles major with Medvedev, a few Olympic medals. Hachanov wins silver. Uh, Rublev and Pavlyuchenkova win a medal together. They've got a woman's runner-up in a Grand Slam in Pavlyuchenkova. They've got the Billie Jean King Cup in women's tennis. Like, talk about a banner year for a, a tennis superpower Mm -hmm. and a a squad of players that seem to really enjoy each other's company yeah and really the best reporter that a country's tennis federation can ask for in sonia tartikova Mm -hmm. these players obviously respond well to her and she gets the best interviews we got the dasha kazatkina interview previously and Mm -hmm. now we got the pavlyachenkova interview we got a rublev interview she i mean this woman knows what she's doing Statistics on the year. That guy led the tour with six titles. Djokovic had five, as did Kasparud. Four titles were Yannick Sinner and Daniil Medvedev. Urkacz had three, and then nine players won two titles. The most overall titles were won by the team of Mektic and Pavic, who won nine doubles titles, including Wimbledon, the Olympics gold medal, and three Masters 1000s. And they actually did this all by July. As we did with the women, let's have a look at the year-end rankings on the men's side and see what pops out to us. Pops up to us? Stands out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Top four, Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas. The ATP 500 king, Rublev at five. Nadal still in the top ten at number six. Berrettini, seven. Kaspar Ruud at 8, Urkacz at 9, and Sinner 10. Ruud winning 5 titles, Urkacz 3, Sinner 4. So, reflective of the folks who played really well this year. Four players made their top 10 debut this year. Ruud, Urkacz, Sinner, and Ogeliasim. Felix being the one to not finish inside the top 10. He's just outside at number 11. You mentioned Cam Norrie's Big come up this year. He's at number 12. Dominic Team, after missing so much of the season, is at number 15. Roger Federer, if the Australian Open were to be held today and he were able to play, would still be a top 16 seed. Wild. Mm-hmm. Karatsev is going to have a lot of points to defend at the start of next year, being the number 18th ranked player in the world. Without looking at the rankings, don't look, stop looking. Mm. Who's the number one ranked American tennis player right now? I think I just looked. Okay. Taylor Swift. <laughs> right? Yes, followed by two trees at 24 and 26. Gisner and Riley. Correct. Or in reverse order? No. Oh, in that order? Yeah. Okay. Isner won Atlanta this year. Can you, Can you believe that? I, I do not pay attention to that <laughs> man. He's probably the tennis player that I've tuned out the most. Yeah. Chilich finishing at 30, Lloyd Harris 31, Carlos Alcaraz 
32. A first-time titleist this year, first-time Grand Slam quarterfinalist. A lot will be expected of him. Francis Tiafo, number 38, on the strength of that solid fall season. Benoit Paire, somehow still ranked number 46 in the world. Because <laughs> he plays a lot, everywhere, and complains <laughs> everywhere. Kenny Shikori, 47. Tommy Paul, another first-time titleist, is ranked 43. Mackie McDonald, 55. Jensen Brooks, B56. The, the volume of men's of American men players in the top 100 is probably close to as high as it's been in a long time. Yeah, so even in the top 50, right? There's a ton of American men. They uh, just have not broken through to that top mm. tier. Borna George had a year felled by injury. He's all the way down to number 73. Stan Wawrinka at number 82. Stan feels retired to me. I feel like we haven't seen him in so long. In such a long time. Nick Kyrgios at 93, and who I am just looking forward to, just forgetting about at number 96, a certain Tennis oh, Sandgren. Yeah. Well, Tennis Channel won't let you forget about him. Well, we made uh, predictions or guesses as to who the breakout players would be on the ATP Tour this year to mixed results. Well, I should <laughs> say I, I won this one. We were yeah, more even on the WTA side, my... but I... My women's predictions were a lot better. So for the top 50, I said Jordan Thompson. Wasn't a great pick because he dropped out of the top 50. He's ranked 75 right now. You were looking good with Davidovich Fokina for a while. Yes, yes. So in the 50 to 100 range, Davidovich Fokina, he reached the quarterfinals of Roland Garros. He reached the quarters of Monte Carlo. He had achieved a career high ranking of 32 He's number 50 right now. So actually, I don't think that was a bad pick. No. And I think he has a bright future. Musetti? No. Let's just move on. I feel like a lot of folks don't know why you're moving on. Well, that, we'll talk about that you're in a moment. You're going to get to that? Okay. Yeah. The top 50 player I picked was Diminar. Ranking-wise, he didn't really advance his career that much, or at all this year, but he still won two titles. French player who pronounces his name Corentin Moutet. <laughs> Was my pick from from the 51 to 100 range. Not a good one. I mean, he did release a banger he did. with Chapo Music. Was that this year? I, I, I think it was. I can't recall. I, I recently listened to our review of the Chapo Music EP, as I like to call mm-hmm. it. Oh, I mean, it was seven minutes long, the as drip, you pointed out. The Drip Drop Train? Uh, yeah. N- night tri- was it Drip Drop? I don't remember. No, Drip Drop is from it was Empire. Thri- oh, right. Drip. Drop, drip, 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 drop. <laughs> no, it was three songs, and Mute was on one of them, and he outshone oh, yes. the Canadian. Mm-hmm. And then in the 100 and above category, I had picked Carlos Alcaraz and Brandon Nakashima. Alcaraz, okay. not a, a big uh, surprise. Right. I mean, that was a popular pick to start the year. Nakashima, I will hang my hat on that one. Overall, though, the, the spate of breakout players that we saw on the ATP Tour... They include, but are not limited to, Urkacz, Alcaraz, Korda. We haven't mentioned Korda at all in this episode so far. Cam Nori, Lloyd Harris, Rude, Nakashima, Karatsev, and Brooksby. We've come to our favorite segment, Remember When. And like last time, we wrote down a bunch of our own, and then we asked you all for your help in remembering some of the strange, funny, bizarre happenings 
of 2021. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when, after quite a bit of on and offness, Elena Svitolina wore an off-white wedding getup in her nuptials to Gael Monfils, yes. who himself dressed up like Wimbledon mm-hmm. in that purple suit to meet her at the altar in that off-white dress. Mm. Rest in peace to... Did you get that reference? Meet yes, me at the of altar. Okay. It's like one of my favorite songs. Okay. You didn't respond to it, so I didn't know if it landed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rest in peace to Virgil Abloh, who recently passed away of cancer, dressed Elena for that occasion. I thought dressed... she looked great. She looked beautiful. Except for the words off on it. Right, right. She looked beautiful. Virgil dressed Serena famously in a bunch of her post-maternity Grand Slams. Infamously, some might say. Yeah. I mean, he caught a lot of flack from us on this show because we didn't particularly care for his tennis designs. But still a a massive loss Mm -hmm. and very sad to see him pass away at such a young age. Do you remember when Melbourne went into a five-day lockdown literally in the middle of the Djokovic-Fritz match and, specter- <laughs> and spectators were ushered out? I sure do. Taylor Fritz was not happy about that. And I don't blame him. No. Because things were looking a little precarious for our Novak. And then you compare this to the Roland Garros decision where they simply extended the curfew for the Djokovic-Nadal match. <laughs> Right, they had this very strict curfew. And I don't know. I don't know what the right decision was. I definitely don't have the bandwidth to consider that right now. (laughs) No. My favorite moment of these Remember Wins, and it was probably the most favorite. That was a double superlative there. But it's fitting from most of our listeners when that, quote, not drunk lady gave Rafa the middle finger and called him an OCD fuck in the Australian Open second round. Yep. Apropos of nothing, <laughs> that was the strangest thing I think I've no, seen all year. No, but the best part was when Rafa realized that this person was there, right? And mm-hmm. looked up and saw the middle finger and he was like, Me? 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 You t- <laughs> me? <laughs> then press, it was basically like, what did I do? In press, he's like... I don't know, maybe she had too many tequilas. (laughs) (laughs) She was interviewed, by the way, and said she was not drunk. Oh. That this is just how she is. All right. She finds him extremely annoying. Shannon Clark submitted this wonderful video that I had forgotten about of Aslan Karatsev being asked by a reporter if his bathroom break helped him reset mentally. The implication was, you know, was it strategic? Did it help you win the match? And he said, uh, I had to go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgotten about this one uh, submitted by At Grass Seasons. The Hachanov Korda match at Wimbledon, where there were 13 breaks of serve in the fifth set, including eight in a row. <laughs> there were only, I mean, not only, but there were 18 games in that fifth set, and 13 of them were breaks. But women's tennis is trash, though, because nobody can hold serve, right? (laughs) But we get to be like, oh my god, what a great match! No, I think that match took a lot of derision, to be fair. (laughs) Do you remember? Now, this this is a fave. At the Olympics, Novak kind of hacked the player's code by launching his racket into the stands 
but he didn't get defaulted because there were no people in the stands. His mind. No comment on that? I, uh... Do you think that was too messy? No. It's factual. (laughs) It's... It's just too much. I mean, you find yourself giving credit where credit's due, but there's just so much necessary flack that needs to be given as well. Yeah. That Olympics was... It was a lot of drama. He was, for better or worse... One of the players who caused all that conversation in 2021. One of my favorites just recently happened when Medvedev yawned at Sinner while Sinner was trying to get the crowd pumped up. This just after Sinner had derided Francis Tiafo in press for doing too much <laughs> with the crowd in their match. And so you see the slow-mo of the two players crossing and... I don't know if I should say this publicly, but privately I call him Big Bird. Oh, wow. <laughs> Big Bird is like putting his hands up awkwardly to get the crowd involved. And Medvedev is just walking by and just motions to his mouth like he's yawning. <laughs> Medvedev did win that match, by the way. Do you remember after Barcelona, Fabio Fonini said that he might sue the ATP for, quote, tarnishing his image? Because they defaulted him for allegedly insulting a line judge. Now, this is Fabio Fognini. Mm -hmm. We could be forgiven for believing offhand that he did such a thing. Because he has done that many times in the past. Did he do that this time? I don't know. But sir, your reputation, or whatever is left of it, is already impugned. You've impugned it yeah. yourself. This is the boy who cried lupo. That you means have, wolf in Italian. You've harpooned yourself <laughs> and your reputation many a time in the past. Do you remember? He could have had it all. Didn't we almost have it all? He could have had it all. Back in the day. Um, he has a more successful wife. Two right? beautiful children. Three now. Three? Yeah, there's Jesus. a third. He could have had it all. I mean... He's a very attractive dude. Like, he was set for life as being a thirst trap goat. Mm. And then his true colors came shining through. A maleducato. Oh, wow. You're just Mm -hmm. hitting us. Remember when? Now, this is not a fun one. No. To end this segment. Remember when several ATP players used homophobic slurs on court, either against themselves or others? Or on social media, as it turned out with... Lorenzo Muzzetti. Yes. Fabio uh, used an Italian F word that essentially means the same thing as the English F slur Mm -hmm. for a gay man. He apologized, scare quotes, by coming to his next tournament in Rainbow Regalia. Mm -hmm. It was a new one. (laughs) Because if you wanted to let us know that you really were down with the gays, you could have just done that to begin with. We'd have taken it. (laughs) You could have done a a whole lot of reputation repairing by doing that. Yeah. But this was lip service. And also that that typical casual vapanculo, like middle finger. That braggadocio kind of. Flippantness that Fabio just oozes in spades, right? Mm. Halgaroon used that that word uh, against himself. And then... I mean, when he was called out, he wrote and rewrote 
this Instagram non-apology and like then four times. And then edited. Yeah. And then his mom went top Karen. I don't mm-hmm. know how you say Karen in Danish, but she was it. And said, like, y'all better stop. Mm-hmm. He's not like that. And you guys suck. And then he finishes the year 103 and he's like, if these rankings were not frozen, <laughs> I would have already been 25 in the world. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't get all the wild cards that I got, what would I have been ranked? I would have been ranked top 10. <laughs> Those wild cards were a hindrance. <laughs> all the pressure it put on me. And then finally, this happened uh, in the past week. Musetti posted this Insta story with him and Gianluca Majer, and uh, like they had their arms around each other, and it said F with five star asterisks mm-hmm. after it. So people were like, "Please tell me this doesn't mean what I think it means," mm-hmm. because the the Italian word is also six letters and also starts with an F. So either way you slice it, like it's not good, mm-hmm. right? And, but then he follows up. Right. Uh, yes. He does the whole Garoon editing, you know, thing and removes the asterisks to say that he meant family. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. The mere fact that people have to even think of what we thought it to mean means that you stepped many a foot wrong there. Like yeah. that is offensive AF. It was weird. It was another unforced error. This is a good segue into. One of the themes that we've been talking about through the episode and we did throughout the year is that the ATP is dealing with a pretty significant integrity problem at the moment. They they fumbled the Zverev story for many, many months. They finally announced in the fall that they were uh, starting this committee that would work on building a domestic violence policy, that they were opening an investigation immediately into the allegations against Alexander Zverev. But Ben Rothenberg reported just yesterday that he spoke with Olga Sharipova and she says she hasn't heard from them. So is the investigation underway? I don't know. But it's uh, it's not moving swiftly. Meanwhile, his winning on court has not stopped folks from being increasingly engaged in this story. Mary Carrillo quit her job at Labor Cup in protest. That was a big one. It was really the first time we saw someone who had the power to really sacrifice their position and bring great attention to this issue. And this is an example of showing integrity when others aren't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the ATP is not. They also have not really commented on Basilashvili. Zaiboch Virj has also been accused of emotional abuse by an ex-girlfriend. We have tons of just really ugly shit coming from and about Nikirios on social media. I mean... I mean... It's... The stuff that his ex-girlfriend is putting out on social media. And then the stuff that he's saying about WTA players, like, it's just gross. Like, it's actually disgusting. Yeah. And to sort of top off the year, after the WTA took a very firm stance on China with regard to Peng Shuai... The ATP released a statement that was very unsatisfactory for a lot of people, including many of their own players. Mm-hmm. To recap, the ATP season leaves that tour in dire straits, in large part because of some dire straits. Mm-hmm. And so I think what's important is that like, this isn't separate from the tennis. 
No. Right? <laughs> this this is part and parcel of the actual playing of the sport itself. Because the tour title leader is someone who is under suspicion of domestic violence, who is under investigation. So the ATP is in a position where it's like, well, how do we uh, how do we promote the sport? How do we give credence to this investigation? And I think they fumbled on all counts here. They have their players making, you know, more minor stumbles about vaccines and pseudoscience and stuff like that. Pierre, also Ooh, embarrassing, Air right? Like the Air Bear. What he said for for several reasons. I'm missing the Australian Open, but one of them is that he will not be vaccinated. I did not have that on my bingo card, mm. that he would be the one. <laughs> but it just seems like the ATP was so spoiled for a long time because the big four was so well behaved. I mean, for the most part, Novak hasn't been the best. Uh, how do you say this without inflaming the fringe? Well, you don't. I guess you don't. He be hasn't been a great ambassador during the pandemic. Right? No. But... That's not controversial. Right. But for a long time, the big three and four were were pretty easy to swallow. Like, they were great ambassadors for the sport, non-controversial. But I think the ATP doesn't really know what to do with this next generation. They're kind of like... They need to uh, mind you know, their own... Cannons. They need to mind their own business. They need to get their house yeah. in order. Like, are you the gatekeepers of your sport or not? Or one of? Mm. Of your product, your brand. But to your point, you cannot separate the tennis from the off-court stuff. Like, I hope yeah. this year has made that clear. And if you are a listener, a new listener, maybe. Because if you are a long-time listener, you know this already. But if you're a new listener and this annoys you about us, please, respectfully, there are there's never been more tennis podcasts to listen to. <laughs> Literally never. If you want tactical stuff, if you want technical stuff, if you want to just focus on men's tennis, if you want to not hear about these men and their myriad wrongdoings and missteps and just overall fuckery, you can hear it from them. We aim to give uh, a balanced approach to it. But we're not going to exclude that stuff. That's just not what this show is predicated mm. on. Also, like, this has kind of just always been us. Yeah. It's not It's not new. No. Right? So that was the, are, that's the whole point of the show. There are a lot of talented people in tennis podcasting who do different things. Thought went into the naming of the show. <laughs> like, the body serve is called the body serve for a reason. It's supposed to, like, push you back off your feet a little bit mm. with the way you think about tennis anyway some of the other stories that were percolating this year roger federer's absence was a big story just not having him um seeing him eat a bagel to horkoch at wimbledon was shocking the last time we saw him on a tennis court losing a bagel yeah. set at wimbledon and then his recent update which is pretty discouraging for his fans that he definitely will not be in australia Definitely will not be in Roland Garros. I think they said probably not. Probably. But that even Wimbledon would be an That's achievement. True. Yeah. And I'm getting like Tiger Woods tease from this situation with Federer, where Tiger says he's gonna he's gonna be able to play golf again. 
he's going to be playing the what used to be the, known the as the father son the father son yeah. thing with his son Charlie in a week. But to be able to return to the tour full time, he says probably never going to happen. Mm. And he's going to have to pick his seriously pick his spots to play tournaments and practice up to like play one tournament here or there you know is this tiger or that's tiger i'm saying like that's probably what we're looking at with roger in a best case scenario Mm. two all-time greats of their sports let's talk about the winner of the calendar year grand slam dylan alcott Mm -hmm. in wheelchair tennis he's a 15 time singles champion in grand slams i think you just read that he's going to be retiring next year yes in addition to his 15 single slams he just four-peated at the Australian Open in doubles, and he's won nine total slam doubles titles as well. He's won two Olympic gold medals in quad singles at the Paralympic Games in Rio and then in Tokyo. He won gold in quad doubles in Rio. And he's also a member of the gold medal winning wheelchair basketball Australian team at the 2008 Beijing Olympics. I did not know that about Dylan Alcott. (laughs) He also is a gold medalist at the 2010 World Championship in wheelchair basketball. Well, damn. Super talented dude. Some welcome news came in over the past few days. Jan Tyriak has sold the Madrid tournament to IMG. Yeah, but then that means he made a lot of money from it. Yes. Like, we get to be rid of him in that capacity. Mm. But I'm just disgusted by just the money bin, Scrooge McDuck money bin nature of it. I guess we cannot have it all. No. So just be happy that he's no longer the owner of that that tournament that we called the unattractive inside open. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll become relatively attractive inside. Well, I mean, it's being sold to IMG, so all their talent will be yeah. getting all the wild cards yes i do hope that they raise that hideous stadium to the ground at this point i wouldn't mind seeing the blue clay back again <laughs> <laughs> at least it was something to look at but yeah retirements quite a few dolgopolov guillermo garcia lopez oria tekau troitsky paulo lorenzi martin klizan lu yenshen leonardo meyer and leander pays the legend, mm-hmm. Leander Pays. I honestly didn't know that he was not retired. I just kind of assumed that even though we hadn't seen him for a while, he'll just pop up back again eventually. Right. <laughs> right. And today we found out that Manolo Santana has passed away at the age of 83. He was Spain's first Grand Slam winner, winning Roland Garros in 1961. He was the Spain's first Wimbledon winner, first U.S. Open winner. He retired with four Grand Slam titles in singles. He was the amateur number one for a stretch. All those titles coming in the pre-Open era. Yep, just a few years before Open Tennis in the 60s. He won Wimbledon in 1966 despite famously hating grass, saying that grass is for cows. This will be a a, a shorter episode than the last one. Yep, no surprise there. I still think we did a fairly good job of capturing what this season felt like well we'll we'll see well the verdict's out it's not to, ours it's to be to determined <laughs> thank you for sticking by us for a seventh season mm-hmm. covering tennis we've got a quick turnaround now to to settle on a season opener yeah we so, got like three weeks 
We like to open the season with a kind of more of a, a broad historic episode where we look into some either some rivalry or some player who we want to learn more about, mm-hmm. um, some historical artifact from tennis. And so we're we're trying to decide on a subject for now, but that'll probably be our opener for 2022. Some of the things on the table to be super vague about it. Uh, one WTA player in particular, uh, maybe two WTA players in particular, <laughs> uh, and maybe we'll venture out into an ATP. I think it's time. Episode. Yeah, I, I really think it's time. Uh, there are a couple on board that we're thinking about that won't have to do with one player in particular. Maybe it's a rivalry episode, or maybe it's an episode dealing with a certain era in men's tennis. Mm. Okay. So we have not yet decided. So that's what we'll be doing over the little off-season. Our off-season is about as long as actual tennis players. Shorter at this point. But we don't have to train during the off-season. We just have to read. Yeah, and not (laughs) eat as much as we should. Right, right. So thank you again for contributions to the GoFundMe, for your downloads, for listening. Uh, Some of you have been here since 2015. Mm -hmm. We so, so appreciate it. A listener, uh, I listener Brad just told us a couple nights ago that he went back and listened to our very first episode for the first time, which was called a "Formal Education." And our our old intro uh, featured you doing a reading of Serena Williams' famous drag uh-huh. of Martina Hingis. It was kind of like a chipmunk voice. Yeah, scrambled. Yeah. I actually I really missed that intro. That was hilarious. We might bring it back. All right. For like one or two episodes. Yeah. Who knows? Or maybe we'll find something new in the off-season. <laughs> you can find all our info to contact us, to donate to the GoFundMe, to see what Vince is up to on Instagram, on linktree.com slash thebodyserve. All links to everything pertaining to us is there. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's two T's. This has been the 2021 tennis season. Thanks for listening. Till 2022. Thank you very much.